What do you talk about? Uh, hot on the heels of a tragedy, one of, of life's turbulent and unforeseen events. What is the nature of your prayer? What do you ask God for? Can you please buddy up with two or three others nearby and discuss that and see if you could learn from one another? That's a tough one, isn't it? I wish I could listen in on all of your conversations. It's a really tough question. Uh, that's the one, as you might have gathered, that we're going to deal with tonight in our text in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to begin looking at verse 24, just a few verses tonight. They're filled with good stuff. So beginning in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, look what it says. For in hope we have been saved. The whole context has been suffering. Paul, to his credit, has been rather upfront about this. Uh, today, the reality of suffering for the Christian is denied in many circles. It's supposed to be smooth sailing, they say, upon acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not supposed to be subject to bodily affliction and death, loss of any kind. If you have faith, so say many, uh, all of these things should not be your experience. You're granted by your faith an immunity from these hardships of life, they befall others, non-Christians, but they're not supposed to be your destiny. That's the teaching. But I, I like the fact that Paul, in saying what he does, flies right in the face of that teaching, and he's begun to speak to us about a groaning of creation and groaning in our own lives and suffering even of the believer, suffering of the saint. And yet he says, though we groan, we do not do so without hope. Ours is a hopeful groan. That's what we spoke about the last time. And here he says, you see, it's in hope that we have been saved. We're not immune from the throes of life. Some rather shocking events have befallen our congregation just in recent days. Nobody saw the a sudden departure of some of our members. Uh, well, the Lord did, but we surely didn't. And we, we ask questions at times like that, and we, we run to God at times like that, and we, we wrestle with what to say. And so, so we're not immune from the throes of life and from the pains and suffering and losses of life any more than anyone is. But Paul says, but there's, a, but, but there's this atmosphere of hope in which we live life, in hope. We have been, we've been saved. Look, something happened if you are a Christian. You have been saved. But something is yet to happen if you are a Christian. You will be saved. So there is the tension. Our salvation is a now, yet not yet, experience. It's a now experience in the sense that our sins are entirely forgiven. That's called justification. It's an event. It's a legal pronouncement because the Lord Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Ours is forgiven. We have been saved 
from the penalty of our sin. That's an acquittal, which is a once and forever event. But there's a lot more to salvation that we haven't yet tasted of. For instance, we've not yet come to be in our glorified, sin-free bodies. Though the penalty of sin has been removed, sadly, the presence of sin is still very much there in our lives. That's the battle we face every day, flesh versus spirit. And so our salvation is a now but not yet experience. Uh, that we will come into our glorified bodies is a reality, but it's a not yet reality. So we're in between what has already happened and what is yet to happen. Therefore, Paul says, don't we live in hope with eager expectation of the consummation of our salvation. Do you know what we have? We have a down payment and pledge that all that God has promised us will be fulfilled. And that very uh, earnest or, or pledge or down payment is himself in us. When you see evidence of God's spirit in you, that's evidence of the fact that he is in you and that you are a saved person. And that is such a rich and joyous experience. And yet, it's only a foreshadowing, only a little bit of a taste of what is yet to come. And so Paul says, though we suffer in this world, as do all people, yet we are saved fully and live in hope of the even fuller consummation of our salvation one day. In other words, we have not yet received all the benefits of what it is to be saved. Imagine standing in the very presence of Almighty God, having a face-to-face -face relationship. Imagine being with friends and relatives who, uh, based on their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have passed on before us. Imagine being reunited with them. Imagine eternity. Imagine undistracted worship and service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine worshiping with Christians from every ethnicity and tribe and tongue across the universe. Imagine there being no longer any sickness or illness or loss or death or dying, not even the process. Don't you see we've not yet received the full benefits of our salvation? So though we go through a lot of suffering, Paul says it's in hope that we have been we have been saved. And then he says, but hope that is seen is not hope. That, isn't that a logical thing to say? If you have something in your hand that you expect to have, you no longer have to hope for it. You have it. It is your possession. But since we've not come into full possession of the fullness of our salvation, we hope for it. So Paul says, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already Sees. And so if we've already received, received the fullness of salvation blessings, we wouldn't be hoping in them. We only hope for that which is in the future. And so though our present experience, that which is represented by many even here tonight, is hard and difficult, even painful, still we have future hope. That's what Paul is saying. Then he goes on to say in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So here's the difficulty in the Christian life. I bet you experience it as I do. We know that we are going to heaven. We know this. We know that God is going to recreate the universe. It, now being corrupted, will be one day uncorrupted. 
We know all that which God promised to us will be one day fulfilled. We know about all this, but in the meantime, we hurt, we suffer, we uh, are impatient, we get discouraged, we have unanswerable questions, sometimes we get bitter, cynical, even angry. We're hopeful about the future, but the present is is rather harsh. And so Paul says in verse 25, we simply have to persevere as we wait eagerly for what is to come. Now that's a tall order. Uh, Is there no source of help for us in waiting? Well, there is indeed. And that source of help, rather surprising if you haven't read this before, is mentioned in the next verse, verse 26. In the same way, Paul says, the Spirit, capital S, should be capitalized in your Bible. That's God. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. The word weakness really captured me. It gave me permission to be what I am, weak. Do you feel that permission? There's also a lot of... uh, impetus in preaching given today for you to be strong, for you to uh, believe in yourself, for you to be all that you want to be. Uh, That is sheer and utter nonsense. The sooner you and I come to the end of self-confidence, the better we will be. It's very irrational to put much confidence in self. Did you know our longevity is not even in our hand? I must tell you, the very next breath we take is not up to us. It's determined by the giver of life. Really, we don't know what later tonight holds, let alone tomorrow. This notion of believing in yourself as if you can be whatever you want to be is idolatry of the self. And you would think you and me, having lived with ourselves long enough, would have enough of a historical record to know that is sheer and utter nonsense. Are you kidding me? We're prone to sickness. We are prone to sin. Self-confidence is idolatry. It ought to be ruled out. So I love the permission to be who I am. Don't you love it? The Spirit helps our weakness. Listen to me. That's no pep talk. That's not saying pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's no high school football coach saying stuff like when the tough gets going, the going gets tough. You know all that stuff? That's what the, Maybe that works, I suppose, to a certain extent, but that's a horrific life philosophy. I want to tell you something. <coughs> life can get so tough, you can cough uncontrollably <laughs> into the microphone. All these things are evidences, don't you see, of our, the weakness of our condition. We're all frail. Life can get so tough that as tough as you think you are, it, it really in comparison to the challenges of life, you're really rather weak. And I, I know we hate to admit that, but I'm telling you, it's very freeing to do so. And I love this verse, therefore, the Spirit helps our weakness. We have help in our weakness, and it's the Spirit of God himself. Think about it. So we have two helpers. Did you know that? 
we have one in heaven. He is the son of God. And we have one in our hearts. He is the spirit of God. Think about it. We have a helper in heaven and we have a helper on earth. We should not be surprised by this because when our helper in heaven, the Lord Jesus, was here on earth, before he ascended to be back with his father, he said this to his followers then, and by extension, us, his followers today. He said in John 14, verses 16 and 17, he said, I will ask the father and he will give you Another helper. Another helper implies there's already a helper. It's the Lord Jesus. He came to intercede for us and to save us and to help us. But now he's talking about, he said, I'm going to ask the Father to give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. There is a source of help, if you're a Christian, in you that non-Christian people know not of. Because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Folks, we are weak. We need help. We have help. God's spirit in us is our helper. But what specifically, in accordance with this text, what specifically, precisely is it that we need help with? Uh, look what it says next. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Look, for we do not know how to pray as we should. So in light of the context, the specific weakness being addressed here is our weakness in knowing how to pray. That's why I asked you to interact about this a little earlier. What do you say to God? How do you pray? in the midst of suffering and loss and hardship. See, the whole context of what we're reading began in verse 18 of the text. It was way back when, when we were there. Verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's the theme of the text, suffering experienced by the Christian. Paul introduced the subject way back in verse 18. He said, I consider, I, I reckon this to be true, the sufferings of the present time, the sufferings even the children of God go through, they're not worthy to be compared with what's ahead of us. So, so the theme of the text is suffering. Now Paul says, when it comes to praying in the midst of suffering, we are really, really weak and need help. Why? What do you typically ask God for in the midst of a difficult and painful situation? I'll bet it's the same thing I do. You ask God to bring it to a quick end, don't you? You say, God, deliver me from this. That's what you say. That's what I say. I think this text is implying that we may sometimes be praying amiss. Because it could be that what we ought to be praying is, Oh God, if you choose not to deliver me from this, deliver me through this. Sometimes we ought to be praying, Oh God, I don't like this. I'm disoriented, confused, and in pain. I'm in distress and unsettled. This shocking new thing has overtaken me and redefined my very existence. Yet, 
God, I pray you would let it run its course until it produces in me the very thing you want for it to produce in me. I wonder if what we ought to be praying is, oh God, I believe it's your primary purpose to conform me to your image. And oh God, I'm willing to admit sometimes it's adversity rather than prosperity that accentuates the process of me being conformed to your image. So I wonder if we ought to be praying, oh God, sustain me through it rather than deliver me from it. Now, I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I'm the guy who says, oh God, take this from me. Deliver me from this. I don't want pain. Nobody does. And that's why the text says we really need help with our weakness regarding prayer. There was a Russian dissident who was sent to a gulag, a prison in uh, Siberia. He was a Christian, and he was silently praying with his head bowed. And a fellow prisoner interrupted him and said, why do you waste your time? All that praying will not get you out of prison. And he said, I'm not asking God to get me out of prison. I'm asking him to strengthen me through my time in prison. I read that and I thought, oh my goodness, I really don't know how to pray as I ought to pray. Nobody does. Therefore, we need help. By the way, I'm pleased that uh, it's not just you and I who struggle in this area. It's even Paul himself who struggled with regard to what to pray at times. Do you remember one time he referred to something that happened? bothered him as a thorn in the flesh. Do you remember that? It's in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a manner of affliction. We don't know specifically what it is. We can only speculate. Maybe it was physical. I don't know. But he prayed about this thorn in the flesh. So I'll read it to you. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. He said, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. One as esteemed as the Apostle Paul prayed amiss. He prayed not once or twice, but three times that whatever this thorn in the flesh was would be taken from him. Finally, God answered and persuaded him that he needed the ministration of that thorn in the flesh. Paul said, I have concluded that your grace is sufficient for me. And then he said, for when I'm weak, then I am, then I am strong. See, Paul didn't even know what to pray during his suffering. Meanwhile, there was another time. Paul didn't know whether he wanted to live or die. Have you ever been in that situation? Don't, you don't have to nod your head. You can wiggle your toes. I bet most here, I bet you've thought about going home. How could you not? It hurts to be here. Sometimes the hurts are, are nigh unto overwhelming. And so you say, oh God, take me home. Sometimes the distress of an increasingly corrupt world leaves such a distaste, you just want out of here. You just want to be in the embrace of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes the absence of a loved one uh, creates such woundedness that you yearn to be with that one. So you should not be ashamed if you wrestle with this. 
Should I live on or should I pass on and go to be with the Lord? You shouldn't be disturbed if you don't know what to ask him for. I want to show you, neither did Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, for instance, verses 21 and on, we read this, quite honest. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I don't know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He was betwixt and between. I've been there. Perhaps you have been there as well. I need help. So do you. At distressing times of life, discouraging times, depressing times of life, I need help in knowing what to ask God for. Have you ever been in the situation where you can't even utter words in prayer? Have you had been in such situations where the very breath is knocked out of you by a loss or a cause of grief or a disease or something where you can't even, you know you need help because you're weak? You run to omnipotent, almighty God who is there and who cares and is powerful. And when you, when you finally get an audience with him, the words don't come. You don't, you don't even know what. Don't you see that's our weakness? We don't know. How do I put to words the intensity of what I'm feeling when sometimes what I'm feeling is so intense it takes the breath out of me? How do I verbalize to God when I feel so deeply there are no words for it, don't you see it? I think Paul struggled in this area as well. So the point is, we're all weak, particularly in the area of prayer, especially during times of loss and suffering. But there's good news. We are not left to ourselves. The text says, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. You see that little old word, helps? It's a great, great word. It's kind of a compound word in the original language. It's a word picture. Here's the picture. Imagine a, uh, a load, a heavy burden. Let's say a log has fallen. Let's say a tree, a big trunk of a tree has fallen across a road in a storm. You're trapped, and you get out, and you lift one end, but it's too heavy for you, too heavy a burden. Then someone pulls up behind you, a strong person, and goes to the other end and helps you lift so that the two of you can remove the log. That's what this little old word means. It means a partnership in which the Holy Spirit enters in to help carry our burden, particularly during a time of loss, particularly when we don't even know what to ask for or can't even say anything to God. Now, now, now the word together is really important. The Holy Spirit is not doing the praying for us. The Holy Spirit is entering into partnership with us so we're not absolved of our responsibility to lift up our end of the log, but we must know we have a strong helper who stands by so, then we'll, so that when we're speechless before God because we're in such pain, 
We don't have to worry because there's a strong Holy Spirit lifting that prayer burden from the inner recesses of our heart to the listening ear of Almighty God. And how does he do this? Well, the text says the Spirit himself intercedes for us. That's how he helps us. Oh, God, I, 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 I don't know what to say. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. So be encouraged by this. When you're perplexed, confused, disoriented, unsettled, without words, when all there is is pain and groaning, you are not then merely being watched by God, you are being understood by God. And that God is so understanding that his presence in us, in the form of the Holy Spirit, does the talking. He intercedes for us. How does he do it? Well, the next verse says, with groanings too deep for words. Folks, earlier on, we read that the creation groans. And we also read that we groan. We read this in verses 22 and on. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Verse 23, not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we read, creation groans, we groan, and now we're finding out the very Spirit of God in us groans. He intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Folks, when we're in intense pain, unable to ask for the right things, even unable to speak to God, we are not then being rebuked nor criticized. We are being understood. God in us groans for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, just to allow me to step aside from the main point of the text just for a moment uh, to mention this. Some see here uh, a support for what is known as speaking in tongues. Now, that's a big subject. I'm not trying to skirt it. I addressed it head on once. And if you'd like to listen to that message, you can find it on our website under, under my name. If you can't find it, just email me. I'll tell you how to find it. I just want to say for now, whatever it is you believe about the gift of tongues, this particular passage has absolutely nothing to do with it. So some who look to substantiate, say, a private prayer language, as they call it. Look here with groanings too deep for words. But whose groanings are they? It's the groanings of the Spirit of God. The person is expressing absolutely nothing. This is not about you or I expressing anything to God. That's the point. It's about you or I being disabled. Unable, unsettled, we're speechless. And at that time, we have a helper. Oh, the Lord on high. But one in us, the very Spirit of God, inaudibly, he's communicating to the Father. It's with groanings too deep for words. There is no sound. There is no vocalization. You're not doing it. 
The Spirit of God is doing it. And what he says, his groanings are discernible to his Father. Why? Because of what it says in verse 27. He who searches the hearts, that's God the Father, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The only one who always prays according to the will of the Father is the Spirit of God. <laughs> Why? Because he is God. So this is the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Some say the Holy Spirit is just an influence, a, a force. Well, I don't think so. It can't be an impersonal uh, force who is interceding for you and helping your weakness. It's a personal person who's actually doing that. It's the person of divinity in you as a temple of almighty God. So we are, when we are at our worst as far as communicating, now we run to him because we know we're weak and we're hurting and we're looking for outside help. And as I say, we rush to him. When we finally get to the throne of grace, we're speechless. We don't know what to say or we pray amiss. Ours is the language of emotion. I remember uh, one time one of my son's said to uh, uh, my wife, I hate you. I remember he expressed that. He was a little uh, kid, and uh, my wife denied him, I don't know what it was, maybe candy before dinner or who, who knows, something like that. Now, that was not acceptable. Don't misunderstand. I intervened for sure. But, uh, but, but still we knew that was the language of emotion. You see what I mean? Have you ever had not a crisis of faith, but a crisis of emotion. You believe in God. You know Jesus is the Savior, but you're so hurting, you're just, you're just thrown for a loop. And what comes out of your mouth sometimes are angry things, bitter things, unanswerable questions. And sometimes it's pleadings for the situation to be brought to a quick resolution. I understand that. That's normal and natural. But, but, but that's probably not what God wants us to say. He probably wants us to say, Oh, Father, I don't get you. I don't comprehend you, but I trust you. Please only allow this to run its course until it's produced in me, whatever it is you see fit for it to produce. Oh, God, your mind is on eternity. I can't hardly relate to it. I just know this life. When this life hurts I want you to change it for me rather quickly. Oh, God, therefore, would you please zap me with healthfulness? Would you zap me with this, with that? Would you deliver me from all of the trials and throes of life? And God surely can and sometimes does, but I think typically does not. Most times he does not deliver us from our agony. He delivers us through our agony. And therefore, we pray amiss because we want quick deliverance from all that hurts. And at that time, our father doesn't get disgusted with us. He doesn't say, go from me. You know not of what you speak because his spirit in us is interceding for us. But I don't hear him. That's right. Because it's with groanings, 
Too deep for words in this unbelievable coincidence between hearts and minds and wills because they're one and the same God. It's God the Father listening to the prayers of God the Spirit on behalf of the sons and daughters of God. I tell you, that is just an overwhelming blessing. So folks, we're in a lot of trouble on earth. I don't know if you knew that. It's just bad. It's just bad. I mean, I know we think about the Middle East situation, but put your finger on any place in the world. It's just bad. Morally, financially, it's bad. Environmentally. Why are so many of us sick? Why is there so much cancer? Why so much Alzheimer's? What what are we breathing? What are we... Boy, you came for this, didn't you? I just want to make a point here. It's really bad, and we're not immune. It's bad for us, too. Many here have made hospital visits just this week, either for yourself or to visit one you care for. Some have attended funerals this week. Others of us will in the days ahead. It's bad. What do we do then? What do we ask for? We don't know. We know we have to run to God because we're so overwhelmed and so distressed. And Paul says, we have hope of the best which is yet to come. That's the first thing he said early on. We are saved in hope. We have been saved. We are being saved. We shall be saved. And when we shall be saved, it will be fullness of salvation. Our relationship will be consummated. We will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or tears. There will be no longer any death. Paul says, here's a source of hope for you. The best is yet to come. And then the second help for us who are in this rather bad situation, corrupted by our own sin. The second source of help is internal. God's very spirit in us. uh, Persuading us. When you're at your weakest, when you're most tongue-tied, when you're even spewing forth that which is inappropriate, not to worry, more than you being criticized, you are being understood. And what's more, the very Spirit of God is getting between you and the Father. The Spirit of God is saying, Father, uh, your son or your daughter, as you can see, is out of line, is missing the point, is overcome by emotion, is speechless. So let me speak to you about this person with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for us according to the will of God. My fellow Christians, I would like to go home to be with the Lord just like you. We're not allowed to rush it. (laughs) We're allowed to express our interest in being with him. We're not allowed to act on it. What do you do when you want to? (laughs) You run to God in your weakness, 
and you know that the inadequacy of your words are overwhelmed and matched uh, to excess by the intercession of Almighty God. This text ought to encourage us in prayer, perhaps more than any other in the Bible. Some say, I want to pray, but I don't know what to say, not to worry. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Just run to the Father. Run to the Father. Do the best you can in sharing even your deepest emotions, knowing even if you can't articulate what's really going on, not to worry, because you're not the only one lifting up the log. The Holy Spirit is doing so as well. Folks, we're in good shape. We have hope, and we have help, if you're a Christian. And if you're not, none of what I share tonight applies to you, sadly, yet, but it could. You could say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need outside I'm weak. I'm not adequate. I've tried to carve out the direction for my own life. It's a mess. Fill me. Forgive me. I've sinned against you. Give me your spirit in me to change me from the inside out and give me hope of eternal life, a far better life to come. If you utter words like that, the Lord Jesus will take you up on it, inhabit you even tonight, and you could leave also as housing, as a dwelling place. Think about it, for the very Spirit of God. Lord Jesus, it's our desire, those of us who have already made by your grace this decision, it's our desire to make sure we're not quenching your Spirit in us because we want you in us to have free reign, to do your wonderful ministry of intercession. Our own sin quenches you, limits you, Instead, we would rather be repentant, so filled with your spirit that your spirit can do his marvelous work in us and through us. And then, Lord Jesus, for those who have not yet accepted your invitation to be forgiven on the way home, part of your family, redeemed, pardoned, I pray for those men, those women, boys or girls, but tonight would be the time when they say, come into my life, Lord Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. Change me from the inside out. Give me the help and hope that these others have. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.